Hi everyone, this is Sebastian from The Match Experience with my co-founder Dylan. Hi. And today's guest is Stephanie. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Sebastian. Hi, Dylan. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm so excited. Thanks for coming. We're all excited about this experience. So let's start with Stephanie. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, my name is Stephanie Dickerson, and I'm the uh, founder and owner of Toronto Restaurants, which is a restaurants and food website, news website here in Toronto. And I cover not just Toronto. I know a lot of people think that it's just downtown Toronto, but I do do the GTA. Um, so it is a, a wider experience than just Toronto. I could call it Scarborough restaurants. I could call it Markham restaurants. Um, but Toronto just encapsulates everything. I've been in the industry for over 15 years. I've been a restaurant critic and food writer for um, as, as long as that. And uh, over the last few years, I focused uh, really in promoting restaurants and helping uh, local businesses get the word out on, on their businesses, especially during the pandemic. Yeah, that time during the pandemic was really, really hard. But going back to the start of the story, what was your main motivation and what drew you to the culinary industry? Um, I had always loved to cook and I loved going out to eat. I just find there's something really magical, even though I've worked in restaurants behind the scenes and back of the house um, and front of the house. I just there's a, a romance to sitting in the window of a restaurant with the candlelight and a server coming over with a bottle of wine and just that whole experience even even though you know I know the grittier side of it I I still just think it's one of the most amazing experiences that you can have so I kind of chased that idea of you know working in restaurants and I was a music critic and a book critic and I, I was doing celebrity interviews and travel and luxury and lifestyle writing and I thought well why aren't I writing about food and I'd had a catering company and um, was thinking about becoming a chef and working as a chef in a restaurant and, and wondering what to do and then I, I was writing about food in a general way and then I became a restaurant critic um, and that was just kind of opening the gate to a career almost 20 years later. Yeah, well, um, that's that's quite a turn from <laughs> going from celebrities and all of that. In, even in your page, you had a chance to interview Meghan Markle. Yes, that is one of the, I guess, biggest uh, interviews of my career. She was working um, on Suits at the time and was it was during the first year or beginning of the second year when the show was not, you know, a hit show. It was very much a under the radar series. And uh, I knew that she was working in Toronto and she'd been visiting Toronto restaurants. Um, so I, you know, reached out to her people at the time and said, you know, would you be interested in, in doing it? And she was lovely and gave great answers. And it, she did it while she was on set. So, you know, she gave up time. And she, at the time she was also, you know, doing interviews with Vogue and all of these big publications. So the fact that she gave time to 
uh, a small local publication like myself was, you know, a, a really generous thing. Yeah, I I admire people that do that. And you're actually in in that spot right now. You're a big writer, a big personality in what comes as the culinary industry in Toronto. And you're giving us your time coming here. We I deeply appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, I consider myself a small fish in a big pond, but thank you. <laughs> I, I try to have a big voice, even though, you know, it's it's quiet and polite, <laughs> but but thank you. Yeah, your your blog is amazing. So it's it helps us track a lot of motivation. And going around those lines, in during this experience, what is something that you find particularly fulfilling with your current role? as a person's as a one person operation how have you managed <laughs> to strike some balance in your workflow um well there is no balance in what i do um especially during the pandemic um i went from dining out six nights a week and writing about it to reporting on what was happening and what is happening uh during the pandemic full time like I, ha I haven't taken a day off. I haven't, um, I, there's just so much news and so many stories to tell and so many people to help. That's the other thing is all of these restaurants, um, you know, they're, even though patios have opened and, and news articles are saying, you know, oh, restaurants are coming back. And some are, but many uh, will, won't make it through the summer. So how do I help those restaurants make it and how do I spread the word about what restaurants are doing in the limited time that I have even though I'm doing it full-time with um, the limited resources that I have and um, in, in an engaging way that isn't you know kind of reiterating the same story that you know restaurants need your help to the public I think the public knows that I think they just need to know ways of helping and so I'm trying to come up with different initiatives and, and different ways that that people can help that's uh that's amazing all of these initiatives that you're talking about um I, I was just more curious on the food critics side uh as, as someone that is you know very uh not too sure about how to critique food like in particular, whenever I go to a restaurant and I, and I taste a dish, the only description that I can think of, oh, it's too salty, it's too, there's too much peppers, or the, the ingredients are not fresh enough. Um, could you kind of just elaborate on what, what are the things that you look out for when you're um, critiquing a restaurant? Like, uh, what are some key points that uh, maybe audiences in the future could potentially look out for when they're tasting a dish? Um, yeah, well, when I was a restaurant critic for um, 10 years, there were a lot of elements to it. And, you know, there was indoor dining. So it's as much about the, the atmosphere and the decor and the service and oh. the lighting and the bathrooms and all of the, um, you know, from when you enter the restaurant, all of these things come into play as well as the food. It's, it's not just how it tastes, it's how it's presented and uh, what ingredients are being used and the ethos of the restaurant. Um, and I think one major factor that a lot of people don't take into account is a lot of people compare 
restaurants to one another and dining experiences to one another. And as a restaurant critic, I tried really hard to just base it on the experience that I was having, which is much harder to do than it sounds. Um, but, you know, with current conditions, obviously the indoor dining isn't a part of it. And there aren't any restaurant critics in Toronto at this time. Um, you know, Yelp and Instagram and all of those things have kind of made it um, not necessary. So if, if you were approaching it as a restaurant critic, I would say, you know, look at the menu. Is it, um, is it varied? What kind of menu is it? Uh, what kind of food? How is it presented? Um, and then go into how it tastes. And of course, every, everything that you think and say is subjective, but you have to also think about the larger population about like, well, would someone who doesn't have my tastes think, think the same thing? And I was just wondering, how would you distinguish maybe an excellent restaurant from a, a good restaurant uh, per se? What are some things that you might you know look up for? Is it like the pricing, the quality of the food, the ambiance? Or... Yeah, it all comes into play. And in my experience, I've been fortunate enough to have you know very fine dining experiences, but okay. almost never are those the ones that I come away with uh, remembering many years later as my favorite. It's almost always a smaller restaurant that's doing their regional cuisine. Uh, very simple, almost always affordable. Um, and it's because these people are either cooking dishes from uh, their homeland or from somewhere that they just love so much and have been able to uh, bring those flavors to light on, on the plate. So I think that's a misconception that a lot of people have that you have to spend a lot in order to have a great meal. And of course I've had great meals that are very expensive. Um, but they're, they're not my favorite. And if I had to choose places in the city, um, there are some, you know, pricier ones, but I, I really love just family owned places where there's, you know, plastic on the table or, you know, you have to ask for a fork. It's, it's, it's really about the food and the flavors and, and bringing that, that experience, uh, passing along that experience to the diner. Oh, uh, I was going to add on to, to maybe ask um, in the, in the past 15 years that you've you know, been in the industry, is there like a, a memorable, uh, memorable time or a, a, what's the most memorable, memorable uh, food critic experience that you had with a restaurant? Subjectively speaking, of course, um, it doesn't have to be, you know, objectively. Um, hmm. That's a good question. Uh, there were lots of times where things went awry, um, <laughs> like a bathroom knob would fall off or the heat didn't work. I, I had many meals where I wore my winter jacket in winter inside because the, the heaters had gone out or something. Um, so there's, you know, little quirky things like that that make a meal experience <laughs> memorable, but not for the reasons that you think. Um, and then sometimes it's, it's the people, it's the server, it's the sommelier, it's the chef, um, their, their stories or um, the, the, it, it's all, almost never about just what's on the plate. So some of my best experiences would be 
like from the time that I entered the doors where they, they welcomed and said, you know, your table is ready to the time where they went and picked up my coat. And it's, it's a seamless uh, event that, that is as memorable as time spent with friends or family. So it's, if I would to clarify, it would be more of the little gestures that, you know, the, the owners or the, the staff actually go out of their way to help you that, really makes the experience more fulfilling would it would that be uh it can be i mean i'm i'm trying to think of it's it's so hard i have a, a rolodex in my head of you know thousands and thousands and thousands of meals and then um i have a, a column that i write every thursday called the open closed where i'm writing about new arrivals and closures and so in April, I believe I wrote about over 110 new restaurants. So I have those restaurants combined in with my many years of, of experience. So I'm trying to think of one that stands out. Um, I can't think of just one. It's, it's, really, it's really just more about that I, I miss it so much right now with indoor dining being closed, but that feeling of entering the restaurant and sitting down and the plates being brought to you. I, th I think that's something that the pandemic has really shown us that those simple gestures are, are, are so treasured and, and so needed in the whole dining experience. And we're getting that back now with patios but these whole months of lockdown where we've been doing takeout and delivery, um, there have been a few restaurants that have been able to kind of transport that experience via their takeout and delivery to our homes, but we're still using our own plates and sitting on the couch or, or sitting at our own dining table. And it's, it's really not the same. So I, I, I just can't wait for indoor dining to come back. Yeah, I think all of us are very excited that uh, about that. Uh, Seb, did you want to continue? Yes, yes. It's it's like you're you're missing the backbone of of the whole going out experience and eating. Like the food might it's nice, but you're missing you're missing the whole experience inside the restaurant. But now I want to change a little bit. Uh, about the topic as mm -hmm. we were as we were talking as you mentioned the pandemic has hit a lot this industry and many restaurants might not be able to adapt to to the summer it's been tough for them being closed for a year is terrible like not having their main source of income which was dining so as a fun restaurant or restaurants what were your goals during this pandemic? What have they been? Uh, well, like I said, I mean, I went from eating out and writing about it and, you know, talking about Toronto chefs and events and all the happenings that were going on in, in Toronto and the greater Toronto area to really um, going back to my journalistic days of news reporting and just reporting on what was happening it all you know uh, the hospitality industry of course is is one of the worst hit out of all of them um, so 
the news happening happened very quickly, but also there wasn't a lot of information to begin with. So we were, myself and my colleagues, we were scrambling to get out information to not only the public, but to owners and, and industry people to find out, you know, what was happening, what the rules were. And then uh, after that kind of initial hump of getting the news out there, then it was how to help the industry and how to help keep doors open and well doors were closed but how to keep businesses afloat during that and so um i just i came up with the takeout toronto and uh, delivery toronto idea to as a kind of like crowdsourcing as a way for people to find out what was open during the time because at that time with everything closed and that had never happened before um, a lot of restaurants weren't offering takeout and delivery initially, so it was hard to find out what was happening. And then the more that grew, uh, then it was, okay, well, now that everyone's doing takeout and delivery, we have to get the third-party delivery apps to cap their fees because uh, now that everyone's relying on it, they, they can't work within those margins of commissions and fees. So I launched the petition a couple of months, I believe, after the pandemic hit uh, to try and help restaurants. And of course, the uh, cap was put into place, but it's not as low as I would have hoped. And of course, it's a temporary thing. So I'm currently working on trying to make it a permanent thing. Um, and as well, in New York, their cocktail to go program has suddenly ended now that things are beginning to open up. And so that's the next thing that I wanna make sure that all of these things that have helped restaurants during the pandemic stay um, so that restaurants can get through because this whole, um, even though things are opening up, the industry is going to need a long time to recover. And so they, the government can't pull away all of the assistance that they have and they need to uh, enforce um, more help to the industry in order for, for them to survive these, these next months. And we, you know, we only have a few months of summer with patios and, and that is not going to save all restaurants. So we need to be thinking ahead and putting plan, plans in place um, now and also months from now. Definitely, definitely, it's it's crucial to start planning ahead of time because a lot of the owners we've talked on the podcast they've told us about how the government would say something, but then they wouldn't uh, commit. Yes, uh, absolutely. And I wanna uh, add a small thing before Dylan continues with this. Um, I think you're you play an essential role during this pandemic to help restaurants because when when the pandemic started Dylan and I also wanted to help restaurants and we started studying what was done in China by the restaurants how did they adapt to the to the restrictions the pandemic and what I, what I learned from that experience was that delivery was becoming so essential it was so important to focus on that so whenever we hopped on a call with a restaurant and talked to them about our platform, we tried to say, we found this 
from studying the situation in China because they were more advanced. They were the lockdown was already in place, and I think your role as a journalist and being informed about what's happening in the U.S. and other countries that or places specifically that have already gone are opening and their economy is reactivating is going to play a crucial part on helping the restaurants in Toronto grow. Well, thank you. Um, you know, it's so frustrating because we see what's happening in the rest of the world. And of course, now everyone knows that we are in the world's longest lockdown. And so it's very hard to not only initiate change, but keep that change going. And I think the, the public has become so weary of these stories of, you know, oh, restaurants are in trouble, restaurants need help, because it's been going on so long. Um, and it's hard for, I think, the public to understand how dire it is. And I think the narrative of restaurants need our help is important, but I think myself and other uh, media have to come up with engaging ways to mm -hmm. get the get the public um, excited and also give them new ways to help. And, you know, I, I don't know exactly all of what those are, but I'm, I'm trying desperately to, to work on it and, and come up with, with new things for, for both the public and for the industry. Yeah, I was, I was actually gonna just ask um, if all of the solutions that you mentioned were not very sustainable. Um, did, did you have a, kind of an idea on what could potentially be a sustainable solutions for um, this culinary industry problem that we're currently facing, because you know obviously it's a lot will be changing, um, especially with the social distancing and the patios, and and now that everyone's kind of been comfortable, you know, staying at home and being very, you know, cooking at home and picking up new habits. Um, how what are some sustainable solutions that can really help uh, a lot of these restaurants? Could you potentially speak to that? Yeah, um, well, the problem is, is that the government is a solution to many of these problems. Oh. So, you know, they need to infuse the industry with money and with with grants and with help and um, in order for the businesses to to keep their doors open and to um, navigate the next few months because as I said patios you know a lot of people are like patios are back restaurants are back but not every restaurant has a patio so while we are thrilled that outdoor dining is back and it's a way to reconnect with you know dining in restaurants so to speak we also have to be cognizant of the fact that now that the attention has gone to the patio people what about all the restaurants that are still only solely surviving on delivery and or takeout? We need to try and figure out how to help those restaurants through the summer months. Um, and so there are a bunch of things that people can do. One thing I think, you know, we all um, during those first few months became um, frequent uh, 
of visitors to grocery stores more than I think we'd ever been. And as you said, Dylan, the whole home cooking has become much more of a constant for people that didn't do it before. And I think one thing uh, people don't realize is that many restaurants, I know we talk about bottle shops and, and restaurants doing their own products, but a lot have turned into uh, mini grocery stores and bodegas uh, throughout the pandemic. And a lot of restaurants are doing prepared foods and their own sauces and chefs who have left restaurants to do their own ventures are now creating their own unique products. So there's a bunch of ways that you don't have to give up uh, shopping at a supermarket and completely switch over to restaurants. Uh, because I know that, you know, budgets are of, are of a concern and you can't get everything you need in one spot. But there is a way that you can supplement your grocery shopping with local products that are from local restaurants, bars, bistros, breweries, cafes. Um, instead of buying uh, your loaf of bread at Loblaws, buy it from your local bakery or from your brewery who's making it from spent grains or... Um, if, you're, if your favorite drink is iced tea, then buy it, uh, a house-made version from your local bar. There's lots of little ways that you can replace common items that you're already using and either spend the same amount or not much more and help a, a, a local uh, restaurant or business instead of giving all of that money to an organization that has billions and billions of dollars. Uh, I was, I was going to add on top of that, that um, one of the things that we see a lot of these days is actually um, the ready meal kits that, you know, a lot of restaurants are trying to integrate. We've actually spoken to someone earlier on. Um, he does artisanal bread and um, hummus that is, you know, re really, really um, delicious from what he said, but he, he was... Um, saying that uh, when he transitioned into the pandemic, he's actually wanting to transition his restaurant into more of a ready meal kit kind of a, a takeout service where they have everything prepared for you so that when you receive your kit, you can just make it really easily. Um, I was just wondering, are you an advocate for these uh, ready meal kits or are you not a big fan of it? Yeah, I, I think whatever restaurants are doing in order to, you know, engage customers and keep them coming back is fantastic. And we've seen so much innovation during the last year of, of these. Uh, I mean, I just found a shop yesterday that I'd never heard of um, that has curated all of these, not only local products, but um, ones that you can't get elsewhere. And so there's all sorts of places that you can go, not only in your own neighborhood, but you can go to a different neighborhood and do an incredible shop of, you know, while supporting uh, local businesses. So whether it's a ready to meal kit um, or a, a, a prepared food kit, if it's a prepared sauce, if it's um, a bottle shop, anything that, that these restaurants are doing, if you can just every once in a while swap out your regular routine of going to the LCBO and heading to your, your local for your, your six pack of beer or a bottle of wine or champagne, 
um, it makes a huge difference to these these businesses and it help it does help them keep their doors open. So um, that's something that we're going to see going forward is it's not going to be as soon as life quote unquote gets back to normal that all of these uh, ways of people creating food will go away. These sources of income will be permanent places within many of these restaurants and the the little shops, the little prepared items, um, the bottle shops, all of those things will continue because a lot of people still won't be comfortable in going out or will still see a lot of the habits, as you said, Dylan, of staying inside, cooking at home. Those, those will continue on. It, it won't go away at the end of summer. Yeah, it's, there is a lot there's a lot of things that are that have changed with the whole pandemic and it's it's been tragic a lot of people have lost their jobs people have had to learn to adapt the hard way and i want to slightly move to a lighter topic that i think it's also a bit lighter but also really important and when i was reading your biography i noticed that equality and diversity are very important to you. I really respect that. And as an industry specialist, could you talk about the importance of equality and diversity to the success of a work culture? Uh, sure, yeah. Um, you know, I'm a one person operation. So, you know, I don't have a team of people that I can speak to of who I've hired and the types of people, but I, I have always been before Toronto restaurants, but you know, doing my own um, business in Toronto restaurants have always, always, always been a proponent of um, people outside of the big top 10 lists and the popular restaurants and the same 15 people who get coverage all of the time. It's always really bothered me. And it's been hard throughout my career to go against the grain and try and um, get readers and become um, known in the city while bigger publications and bigger names were featuring bigger people. But I have always believed that the city is just filled with so many amazing people and it's important to tell their story and um, You know, uh, there at the time when I started, uh, there weren't very many uh, women chefs. There weren't very many uh, women owners of restaurants. And over the years, that has uh, really expanded and changed. And you don't even really have to say uh, female chef or woman chef anymore in order to talk talk about someone which is a, a great change and but it it took a long long time um and you know as we've seen over the years um we're seeing more latina uh, chefs black chefs asian chefs um trans chefs it's it's been so amazing and it's my honor to be able to tell these people's stories and help tell um, their, their experiences. So I'm always on the lookout. The problem is, is that 
there's so many people and places in Toronto and people are always moving around. So it, it takes a long time to try and seek out people. So that's why in my, at the pass at the bottom, I always say, you know, if you know anyone, um, you can submit their name for nomination um, and you can nominate yourself, um, which, you know, is, uh, I, I think that's a great thing if, if, it's, it's a way of, of letting people know who's out there. And throughout my career, some of the most amazing people I've met have been um, through, through these interviews and stories. So it's always, and it always will be um, imperative for me to, to tell those stories. Yeah, I, I get so much what you're, you're telling us about those um, minor players that don't get as much attention and tell their story, which showcase a lot of resilience and coming from another country to start their own businesses. It's, it's amazing how they fight for their dreams. And, yes. Oh, sorry, go for it. Oh, sorry. I just wanted to say that, um, you know, I was, I was very honored to be able to interview a trans chef. And I, a lot of people don't feel comfortable coming forward or um, become telling their story publicly. And so, you know, that is part of, of why a lot of these stories aren't told. Um, and some of the reasons are that some of these chefs, um, some of these great talented people um, aren't getting jobs in places that we, we might know about. And so they don't get featured. And so that's why for me, it's really important that if, if, you, if you are in the industry and you do feel comfortable, sharing your experiences on social media or website or, or getting in touch via email, then it helps other people come forward and tell their story. So the, the more black chefs that come forward and say, Hey, I, I want to be featured, then the more we'll, we'll feel comfortable to tell their stories. And the same with trans chefs and owners and all, all of the, I don't mean just chefs. I, I mean, you know, all of those in the industry, but It takes these brave people to tell their stories in order for others to follow. Yeah, definitely. And oof. no, I, I really <laughs> like I really like the answer. It's it's touching because uh, like I'm part of a minority, and always when I look to read about stuff about people from that are Latinos, it's really amazing. It's really amazing to hear about them hearing their success stories and usually people fail to entail the journey they had to go through and I think that's the best part of all journalism when you you're able to to showcase the feelings the struggles the pains all of that through a story through 300 words or 400 words and as a reader like getting getting that emotion to you it's Ah, it's amazing. And I wanted to, to ask you about this, this common conception that people have about, about food, that in order to, for food to be authentic, you need to have chefs from that background. So for example, if you want to have um, proper Mexican food, it has to come from proper Mexican chef. 
this this generally leads to a bias during the recruitment process. What do you think about this? So there we have it. This is the first part of our conversation with Stephanie. Make sure to tune in on Machi to finalize this wonderful conversation where we will talk about marketing for restaurants. Really interesting topic and how to start it. Interested in more podcasts? Follow us on YouTube and Instagram and LinkedIn where we post weekly articles and bi-weekly podcasts. Details will be in our description below. With that, we hope that you have enjoyed our latest podcast episode. It has been your host, Sebastian and Dylan, on the Match Experience. See you on the next episode.